Right, so you know I love a boffin, yeah? Mm, um, indeed, indeed. Uh, I love a boffin, and I also love people who... I, I love uh, people who just dedicate their, their fucking lives to the pursuit of, 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 of one thing, a goal there. You know, their white sure. whale, their holy grail. Mm. Uh, and Dr. Schmidt exemplifies both of those qualities. And I don't believe you've heard of him, have you? Have you heard of the Schmidt Pain Index? Justin O. Schmidt. Yeah, I think I've missed that. So allow me to introduce you to the work of Justin Schmidt, right? The guy is still alive. He's 73. Um, He's 73 and his name is Justin? Yes. That feels like a name that like only kids born in the 80s have, you know? It's like someone being named Eunice who was born in like 2000. (laughs) Like, his name is Justin, and he's his in name his is 70s? Justin, uh, and he was born in 1947. Justin Schmidt. Justin Orville okay. Schmidt, if you will. That that tracks, Orville. That's more yeah. like it, okay. yeah. Um, he's actually, uh, he won the Nobel Prize in 2015 for physiology <laughs> and entomology. Ooh. Because he is an entomologist, Dr. Schmidt. Uh, and he lent his name to his own scoring system called the Schmidt Sting pain index okay Okay. a lot of dr schmidt's work uh was in examining the social structures of uh insects wasps bees stinging insects fierce fucking insects Mm. right and and studying what their uh their social structures were built upon and his his big thesis has to do with the different types of pain caused by just stinging and, mm. and venomous stings, right? Venomous yeah, stings totally. being those which are actually fucking you up, causing you damage, and yeah. just general stinging pain. Um, uh, Dr. Schmidt realized that there was no uh, first-hand way of categorizing where various insects came in, 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 in the, the, the rankings of pain. So what did he fucking Uh-oh. do? Oh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dedicated himself <laughs> to traveling oh the world... Uh, He's getting stung by shit. Is this where this is going? stinging himself on purpose. Oh my god. um, With every fucking uh, gnarly, massive, fucking huge wingspan, terrify the fuck out of you looking wasps in the world. Listen, I got stung by a wasp once. Like, Mm -hmm. it got caught in my shirt and, like, stung me, like, three times down the middle. Mm -hmm. And it was excruciating. So already, like, props to this guy, but bro... But what what puts this over the top for me, right, is that his writing of these different pains, these different types of pains, is so eloquent and (laughs) almost louche, very funny. Um, The Schmidt Pain Index runs uh, louche, L-O-U-C-H, a kind of relaxed, urbane, uh, you know, informed, eloquent, yet quite chilled... Is that a little bit L-O-U-C-H-E, louche? Maybe I'm I'm mischaracterizing the word, but... but No, I mean, it's... Listen, I don't know every word that has ever existed, so you just taught Fair me enough. a new one. Thank you. Good. Um, <laughs> so his first kind of draft of the Schmidt Pain Index was in 1983. Uh, but since then, he's updated it uh, last in the 90s, and he's classified the stings of 78 fucking species and 41 different uh, genera of wasps and bees and ants. Uh, oh. Just traveling the world, getting just bitten all by from his own experiences. All from his I own mean, experiences. So, like, when we're including venomous stuff here, mm-hmm. stuff that potentially can cause you, like, neurological damage and, and all this uh, kind of stuff. All done in a clinical environment with 
you know, I would like imagine anti-venoms anti and and painkillers to hand or whatever. Um, would you like to hear some of his some of his writings? I absolutely would. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so most kind of uh, I guess you would call them domestic stinging insects. Your wasps, your bees. They generally uh, fit into pain level one. Okay. Uh, the duration of the pain that you get on pain level one is generally five minutes or less. Um, mm. For example, the red fire ant exists in pain level one. The red fire ant, he categorizes the sting of the red fire ant as sharp, sudden, mildly alarming, like walking across a shag carpet and reaching for the light switch. It's a... Uh, yeah, that's you know, pretty accurate. Yeah, that's very, exactly very, what it feels like. No problem at all. <laughs> the tropical fire ant, for example. You should have learned, but the carpet is the same. And when you again reach for the light switch, the shock mocks you. <laughs> the tropical fire ant. I love that. Uh, it goes up the southern fire ant. It happens on the third day as you reach for the light switch and you're wondering when you will ever learn. So you know what I mean? He's yeah. he's he's quite chilled about about the and well, uh, it gets less chilled the further up the scale. Yeah, I'd like to hear some of the yeah stronger ones here. Okay. But I do like that. I see exactly what you mean here about the way that he characterizes it. It's very matter yes. of fact. It's very just yeah. kind of like. Like, if I were to explain it to someone, it's like, ah, you know, like, mm -hmm. when you get a little bit of that static charge, and, it, like, that is Ex exactly yes, how I would yes, say it. Yes, yes, so. yes, yes. But things get real. The paper wasp, for example, polystes versicolor. Ooh, paper wasps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, burning, throbbing, and lonely. A single drop of superheated frying oil landed on your arm. Ooh, yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely mm. beautiful. The giant ant, for example, a pulsing sting with some flavor. You stepped into a salt bath with an open wound. Oh. Hardcore, yeah. and I can feel it. Like I can yes. absolutely feel exactly. What <laughs> Some of these are great. It's incredible. The Western Yellow Jacket, hot and smoky, almost irreverent. Imagine W. C. Fields extinguishing a cigar on your tongue. Mm. <laughs> uh, they're almost like these descriptions of pain are almost like describing food. You know, <laughs> like they. It I is like that, isn't it? Taste yes. the way that he is describing the mm. pain, which um, I really like. Uh, to you know, Doctor Schmidt, we salute you uh, with finally the tarantula hawk wasp Pepsis, which is right up there on the top end of the scale, blinding, fierce, shockingly electric. A running hairdryer has just been dropped into your bubble bath, and he's out there. You know, he's out there right now. Justin, he's seventy-four, and he's he, you know this is his fucking work. Uh, like I said, I love a boffin. I love an obsessive boffin. Yeah. Um, it it's incredible to me that like this guy exists and can explain this kind of stuff with with such accuracy uh, and in a, such a relatable way. And yet, when you mm. go to the doctor and they ask you what your pain is, they just show you a bunch of like faces. <laughs> That's true. Are like, you happy uh, which face one of these or are you faces sad face? looks like you? Yeah. Could you get Justin on the phone, please? I think he could put this better than I could. <laughs> I think he could describe it a little better. This is a skill that I wish I had because I'm a writer. I like to write things um, mm -hmm. and description is not necessarily my strong suit. Uh, and whenever I hear someone who's able to really just pinpoint a description like that, mm. I, I covet that skill. Cause I think that that's just so brilliant. <laughs> and you can just like, yes, I'm there. I feel exactly what he's talking about without ever having to experience this. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I completely agree. And he did the entire thing without any profanity at all. He's done... <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause that's I mean, not, there was that's... probably some at the time. <laughs> realistically i mean i can i can you know I, I can i can describe a situation i can paint a fucking picture with words but not without swearing as we've just <laughs> discovered 
Hello. Yeah, we, profanity goes a long way in describing particularly, well, I was going to say particularly negative things, but also positive things, I mean. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, props to props to old Justin here. Old the most painful thing that I can remember, uh, I, I once bit a fork, right? So I was, uh, I had some, uh, I was eating a meal, it was, it was lasagna as it happens, and I turned around yeah, to talk to the, I fucking love lasagna, I turned around <laughs> to speak to my to whoever I was eating with, and I, I, I paused, kind of mid lifting the fork to my mouth, and unbeknownst to me, while my eyes were elsewhere, the food had dropped off my fork and landed on my plate. I didn't see this, so I just, just <laughs> munched. And I know yeah. you hate that word, but I just or you know. No, I, least... I like the word munch. I don't like the context in which you always use it. Ah, I see, I see. <laughs> but that was horrible. Yeah, uh, no, I've definitely done the the empty fork munch before, mm, and, uh, and I couldn't. Not a fan. My the worst pain that I've ever attempted to describe to people and can never do is kidney stones. It's uh, like the feeling closest to actually like when you're convinced of your own death kind wow. of pain. But uh, it is very yeah. difficult to uh, actually describe it. <laughs> I know someone personally who went through kidney stones over December. Um, Ugh. And- yeah. Uh, my condolences. It is literally the. I had a friend whose mother was like, I had three children unmedicated, uh, and I've had six kidney stones. She's like, I would have six more children before having oh, another Christ. kidney stone. That's how <laughs> painful kidney stones are. Mm. And I need. I wonder if um, Doctor Schmidt has ever had a kidney <laughs> stone and can properly describe what it feels where, like. <laughs> where that lands, Joe. salutes you, sir. Um, I think that might be my horror fetish, in fact. My favourite genre of horror movie is Boats. Oh, I found a feather in my garden today. Must have been an angel. I almost punched a little kid at Kamikaze who was dressed as a zombie because it scared the shit out of me. Corey, exactly. movies are too goddamn long, right? One hour and 28 minutes is a perfect movie. This is, this is it. This is for me. Now I'm like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm fucking in. Episode 20 of hey. Jack of All Graves. It's the big two oh. I've been looking the forward to this two-o. one actually. I have been looking have forward you? to the big two oh. Yes, I have. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know uh, from a neurological, uh, sorry, a numerological standpoint. The idea of having done twenty episodes of a podcast feels nice. It feels significant. It feels like well, I'm... I've told you before that I have a fixation on fives and zeros. That uh, you have you know, told like me that, I yeah. can't start things if it's not on a five or a zero. Things mm. like that. So I definitely am a big fan of basically any such round numbers that come up good. on the podcast. So 20 good. is an exciting one for me. Yes, it feels good. Um, We're doing pretty well. I have to say mm. right now, your knee in my um, Zoom thing is perfectly aligned with the top of my head. So I keep thinking oh, somehow my head is in your frame. <laughs> and okay. it's very disconcerting. <laughs> like, how, like am I, to, how am I up there? Myself? No, you can, you can do what you like. Please don't um, indulge my weirdness. On your, on your account. All right. I would. <laughs> it's unnecessary. Um, but uh, yeah, so episode 20 is here. Hi, welcome. Glad to have you all back. Mm. Uh, we had a delightful time talking to people this week uh, on our Twitter and yeah, on our did. Instagram and so forth. Uh, we really appreciated everyone reaching out to us about Army Hammer. Uh, and his cannibalism this particular week. Uh, so thanks for thinking of us uh, when that happens. That's I'm starting to think he's not going to reach out to me. 
yeah, you know, I think there's other things going on in his life, but I'm sure like he he saw it and was like, oh, I'd really, I'd really like to talk to Mark about this. I haven't given up hope entirely just yet, but I, I, I had built in like maybe 10, 15 minutes of this episode to speak to Army Hammer. So the fact that he hasn't got back to me means we're going to have to tread water for a little bit of time. The yeah. thing, see, to go to go into this just a little bit, right? Yeah, why not? Hey, let's do it. Fuck it. Um, think back to you know when Christian Bale lost his shit on the set of Terminator Salvation, right? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yep. he was Classic. so invested Classic. in bringing his version of the role of John Connor in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> wasteland to life, and lost his fucking shit at some poor lighting technician, right? Yeah, that that was the point. Uh, at which Christian Bale stopped being just eh, it's Christian Bale, Batman, whatever, and became a person of interest to me. Right? <laughs> if you if yes. you can be that fucking psychotically driven and intense about such a fucking flimsy role in a piece of shit Terminator sequel, <laughs> right. then you are one okay, of my people, there's something, sir. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to claim Army Hammer though. I don't know if you've read more about this because it's yeah, I have, I have, okay. I have. <laughs> I've 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 read a lot of his messages today, right? Yeah, uh, and because I thought I was going to talk to the guy, I thought he was going to be popping along. Yeah, I you thought, had to be prepared. Hang on, are you doing a jed on me? Is Army Hammer going to pop <laughs> up? <laughs> um. So, Mark. Anyway, here's Army Hammer. <laughs> hey. No, but um, if he up to this point is you know the fucking Lone Ranger, Winklevoss, all right, whatever. But if he turns out to be a fucking sex cannibal then certainly more interesting certainly more interesting that marks him out as a person of interest to me i was talking to my friend mac uh about this he met he texted me i haven't talked to mac in like months and i get a text message he's like army hammer is all i can think about right now really (laughs) it's like yeah i was like yeah no same um (laughs) but we were talking about this and i was like you know it's honestly like a good thing this stuff is coming out but also i was like it's a good thing he's famous because Mm. it draws so much attention to it that he can't like go on a serial killing spree uh because it would draw too much attention and then mac Mm. was like um or he comes from like an insanely rich dynasty family. Maybe he has been killing all of this time. Oh, and it's like shit. a ready or not situation or something, you know, like, and mm. it's just like, this is a thing they do in the Hammer family. Uh, they're all cannibals. And, you know, this is a practice. Because, uh, I mean, the stuff he's doing w- was insane. Like, just not even like... He was so weird about all this shit. Like the ex-girlfriend talking about how he'd like pretend to be broke and have her pay for her gas. Like it <laughs> feels like like he was Ted Bundying, right? Like yeah, yeah, what yeah, yeah. are you Completely. doing, bro? It's so manipulative and weird and then you yes. just throw cannibalism on top of it. Like this guy is a psychopath. Yes. Um so yeah, it's uh it certainly and... does make him more interesting than the Winklevi. Yes, it does. Uh, I've decided that all of the messages are genuine. Mm. Um, I think you're. I think you're right. I didn't believe it at first, but then mm. once I started seeing the stuff about like the ex girlfriends talking about him, I was like, okay, no, maybe this actually yeah. is real. It just seemed so bonkers, Mark. And it, and if we're talking around this and you have no idea what we're talking about, by the way, mm. um, for one, I think you should carry look at Twitter.com. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great website full of of breaking news all the time. Army Hammer, uh, his DMs leaked or text messages leaked with um, various ex-girlfriends in which he expressed a desire to um, 
to eat them, to cut them up, to have sex with parts of them, uh, their mm. corpses. It's, uh, it's, whew. Really he flat out admits to being a cannibal at one point. I am yeah, actually like, a cannibal. Is, yeah, he says I am an actual cannibal, which now, <laughs> like, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf is playing in my head. And I'm like, oh, now I have to cancel Shia and ARMY and that mm. song is ruined for me? That sucks. But yeah, he's like, I am 100% a cannibal. <laughs> in case you thought that he was like, you were going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's like, no, I eat humans. Yeah. I just want to make that clear. And he yep. said something about, like, didn't he say something about having, like, held the beating heart of something he'd killed or, like... Uh, well, I, I mean, I've, I've got the fucking oh, you've got it here. open you right now if, if, if you'd Great. like to... Because like <laughs> you were specific... prepared for, for your interview. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, ah, this is a good one. I can't stop thinking of fucking your actual brain. Ha ha. <laughs> LOL. <The> ha. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The that ha ha is doing a lot of uh, <laughs> heavy lifting right there. Uh, cutting you into pieces and fucking the pieces. Uh, yeah. You just lay on a pile on the floor and I'll fuck you whenever I walk past you. I mean, if you did not find someone on like a cannibal fetishist website, mm -hmm. just you should just assume that this is not a thing to to bring in. Like how you can't like subtly slide that in there with a ha ha and be like, <laughs> this is fine. This is the thing we're both going to be totally cool with. Oh, my God. It gets so much worse. Oh, so, my fucking God. That's why I thought it was fake. Like, if you just go and read these, it's so crazy. It's It really sounds like a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is some BTK shit right here. It's Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolute oh, insanity. Man. And there's just no feasible way that he would have thought that this, like, was a thing they were into. Like, he's clearly, like, but whatever, I'm Army Hammer, so they're going to stick with me, whatever. Look, I mean, consensual power exchange kind of fantasies are an entire thing, and yeah. I, I am the fucking last person to kink shame anyone, man. Crack yeah. on, go the that fuck to it. That is not the issue here, yeah. No, sir. Um, <laughs> but, He's yeah. clearly scaring these people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just absolute, but it's bananas. You should read them and just tell me I'm wrong that this guy wasn't actually going to eventually murder if he and his family don't already have, like, a murder den somewhere in their castle, like. Army Hammer murder den. I, <laughs> Is that I, what you're Googling? No, no. <laughs> no, but uh, it's it's very, very plausible at this point. Very plausible. Someone do some investigation. I'm sure somebody's mm. looking into it. But but anyway, anyway Armin, that happened. Um, <laughs> reach out, babes. Let's let's get let's get it together. Get on the fucking cast. Let's talk it through. <laughs> Corey and I are all about this cannibalism shit. I, and I would love yeah. to pick your brains. Loved. I said pick. I said pick your brains. <laughs> Those first two letters are very important. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so we had fun talking about that, talking about all kinds of things. Uh, mm. on the on the Tweety. Also, we put up bios on our website mm. so you can uh, read a little bit more about us if you're like, who are these mm -hmm. people? Yeah. Um, uh, 
there's a Facebook group going live at some point over the next couple of days. I, I, I figured I would wait for this episode to go live and then use that to launch the Facebook group, maybe. Um, yes, yeah. yes. You won't be able to get the fuck away from us in 2021. Sorry, we're taking over whether you like it no, or not. No, we're taking over, so we're going to be all up in your business. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, join the Facebook group when that goes up. I will link to it in our blog and all of that jazz. Um, and it'll just, I mean, it's not just to talk about us. Like, it's not like a, like, oh, let's no. talk about joag exclusively any sort of like death horror science whatever like anything we would talk about or just like movie wrecks whatever we can chat about that stuff in the facebook group so that's coming soon yes next couple of days and speaking of movies um mm -hmm. the people have spoken and i am delighted yes. with what they've said yes. <laughs> uh we had a poll over the last few days to, to decide what the next uh, Joag Watch Along is going to be on our Discord, and I'm delighted to report uh, we went for a sequels theme. You know what I mean? It's the second, it's the second yep, Watch yep. Along that we're planning. So uh, I put we put Child's Play two up there. We put Scream two, Evil Dead two, and Nightmare. Wait, did you say Nightmare Elm Street two? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm delighted to report that one of the greatest fucking films of all time, an absolute fucking five star perfect banger, Evil Dead two Ooh. ran away with the vote. So yes. um, the next Joag Watch Along uh, is going to be Evil Dead 2. Uh, did we lock a date in? I think we said... I believe February 6th. February the 6th. Saturday, February, February 6th. the 6th. Yeah, uh, so put us in your put us in your planner and yep. hang out with us because it was very fun last time. Uh, and great this laugh, time yeah. you will be... Well, last time too. Uh, you'll be experiencing one of Mark's favorite movies. Uh, I will also post up on the blog... Uh, it feels like everyone's catering to Mark. I told you you are the, you're the focus of this podcast. But <laughs> Pulling anyway. <the> strings. <laughs> um, yeah, I will put up on the blog as well the lovely unboxing video that Mark did um, when he received oh, some memorabilia from Evil Dead 2, and you can just get excited for it. It's going to be a grand old time. So yep, February 6th, can't wait. all that. Mm -hmm. But today, we are going to talk about near-death experiences. Uh, and, um, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't even know how to jump into this. Where it started, of course, was with a, a friend of mine, um, who had seen Mark talking about, uh, the meaning of life. Mm. And, uh, she had sort of said that she was watching this, this show called, um, Surviving Death on Netflix, this documentary series, uh, to sort of use documentary a little bit loosely, but a documentary series on... <laughs> <laughs> reached out and I was like <laughs> why are you grabbing me what's going on like I honestly genuinely thought you were trying to get my attention <laughs> no not at all I'm, I'm just absentmindedly caressing the side of my iPad sorry <laughs> okay just... cool no problem <laughs> it was like I felt it and I was like do Joe, you I need something 3D. yeah it's like, are we... I'm sorry was I did I not okay <laughs> but okay anyways <clears throat> My friend Karen uh, had messaged about this. You know, she was talking about how beautiful your sentiment had been about the end of life um, nice. sort of giving Thank meaning, you, which I got several messages from people about just being like, that was a really beautiful sentiment. Um, and then she had said she was watching Surviving Death, which is, um, at least in the first episode, it deals with people who have had near-death experiences. Um, and, and by near-death experiences, basically um, meaning like they died and were resuscitated somehow. Yep. Um, and what that like experience was like for them, what they saw, uh, what life was like after experiencing that. And she, for her, she found like some 
some form of like comfort in uh, these people's experiences of near death um, and like the kinds of experiences that they had with it. So she was like, oh, you should check this out. Um, and so we both watched the first two episodes, I suppose. And I don't think comfort was really the thing that came out of it. More uh, rage <laughs> from yeah, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me just before you, you know, sort of. Yeah, I'm, ra- I'm fucking raring to go here. Because I know I'm... you're I know you're ready for it. Here's what <laughs> I think it was. It's shoddy and it's pseudoscientific and all that kind of stuff. Whatever. I mean, even pseudoscience is giving it probably more credit than it's due because it's it's about spirituality. It, that's where it's coming from on this. And it is very. Um, credulous? Is that a word? If you can be incredulous, can you be credulous? <laughs> I, is... thought credul- I thought credulous means... Or oh, am I mixing up with credible? Hang on, do keep going. Okay. Um, it buys into spirituality. It's very much... That's where it's kind of going with this. So it's a show yeah, that no, buys you, into you, the supernatural. You totally use credulous in the right context. <laughs> Having or showing awesome. too great a readiness to believe things. It's credulous there we as go. fuck. Yeah. It is <laughs> credulous as fuck. Uh, so it really... it. It's going into this, um, buying into that there is something supernatural about the afterlife and kind of giving this, like throwing in enough sciencey people to try to give Mm. it a little more credibility about that. But ultimately, it's really on the side of there's spirituality to this. What I thought was interesting in watching it and what appealed to me um, was that much like when we talked about spiritualism, I had said, you know, not everyone who is a spiritualist is a grifter. Like that's not, everybody is not trying to fool someone. People are true believers in this and are very genuine. And um, Mm. my friend Duncan had talked about his grandmother who unfortunately, um, a shout out here, hail Betsy. She passed away from COVID a few weeks ago. So our condolences, Um, but she was a lifelong spiritualist. And in fact, in January of last year said that COVID was going to kill her. Uh, and then died of it a few weeks ago. Um, and so, you know, it was, it, she wasn't a grifter. She is a very wonderful lady um, who, you know, just really believed in this stuff. And she believed everyone had the power to harness, you know, this connection uh, to the beyond, to some other realm, things like that. Um, similarly, I think what is interesting to me about these people in this documentary is that while you have the very clear griftery mediums and stuff like that in it, the people who have experienced these things are not grifters. They are people who genuinely feel like they experienced something. Your hand right now, you're like, I really want to rebut this. Um, but they are people who, who genuinely, you know, they had an experience. They don't know how to explain it. Um, and they are reaching for something to um, put meaning behind it or that gives the time that they now have left mm. more meaning. Um, and I think that that in and of itself is more interesting than any of the other <clears throat> whatever yes. trying to prove to me that there are like angels or something pulling people out of death or anything like that. To me, yep. it's more interesting to see people try to wrestle with yes. what happened to them. Yeah, I mean, on as a jumping off point for a discussion, right, the show has served its purpose. But just to talk a little bit about the show itself, even Netflix pulls back from referring to it as a documentary, right? <laughs> they call it a, quote, air quotes, docu-series, whatever the fuck that means, right? <laughs> I mean, because, I think that's just their word for there's more than one episode of a documentary. I mean, if if... 
if they're sticking to their guns and referring to that as a documentary, then they're cheapening the word, frankly. They're cheapening the work and of documentary. This is characteristic of, of Netflix. I mean, if you watch a yeah, lot true. of their like watch any of their stuff that's about like health and mm-hmm. it's all it's all bullshit. Uh, mm-hmm. But they'll still call it a documentary. So <laughs> this is not unusual for Netflix mm. to put out something that is like without any real basis and call it a documentary. Uh, I, I did a little bit of kind of looking into, you know, the, the doctor in the first episode, the guy, uh, he exists. He's an actual doctor. See, because I came <laughs> right. away from the, I came away from that first episode thinking this is something like fucking Made in Chelsea or Real Housewives or something. This is semi scripted right. infotainment. Mm-hmm. It can't be anything else. But the guy, uh, the guy absolutely exists. His medical institution have a page uh, to to uh, respond to his involvement in that show just to oh, say please don't fucking ask us about the rest of the show we have nothing to do with it <laughs> we were only we were only interested in that first episode but he, he exists What's his he's name? got dr grayson so uh, where is name... he center what is this institution that's trying to distance themselves from him they're not trying to distance they're, they're trying to distance themselves from the rest of the show but his name is dr bruce oh, okay. grayson he's the professor emeritus of psychiatry and neurobehavioral sciences in the university of virginia right okay and i've got for... another neuropsychologist to talk about later on so this is good. a pattern great good um but for a for a for a doctor for a professor he seemed very uh, theatrical, shall we say? I mean, one of the lines <laughs> that broad who claimed to have fucking premonitions of her own death. Yeah, her mm-hmm. for a doctor, man. I'm paraphrasing, but his line: "When the doors of perception are opened, it's very difficult to close them again." All right, thanks, doctor. Is that your <laughs> fucking medical opinion? Is it, doc? Uh, um, <laughs> and again, just the shoddy documentary practices of this show. The first. Uh, what's the what word can we use? The first NDE near death experience yeah. um, subject. The the they lady call them who, experiencers in that community. There you go. The woman who fucking buoyed a kayaking trip and and spent time underwater and her heart stopped and whatever. We only we we only have her account of what fucking happened, right? Right. And uh, her account is essentially that she she flipped in this kayak. Uh, she was underwater for what did she say, like twenty or thirty minutes, something like she that. She says she categorically, on the nose, says I was underwater for thirty minutes without oxygen. Right. Right. Yes. Oh, um, we get her account only. Yeah, and in her account, she sees like some form of being uh, that, like, I don't know, greets her or things like that. And she also gets a message that her child is going mm. to die, um, mm. and. Nice. Eventually, I guess that happens. Um, but yes, we only have her account of this. There's no one else. You know, we don't get like the the other people. And I have a friend this happened to who's been in a vegetative state for 20 years now. Uh, okay. He was underwater for 30 minutes or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. and his uh, his name's Adam. He's never never come out of it. Basically, mm-hmm. I think he's not quite vegetative, but most of the way vegetative. So like instantly, it's kind of a like. Yes, yes. But if, if we could have just had some input from one of the attending medical right. professionals who resuscitated her. Yep, I can confirm as a doctor who was there, she was under for 30. She right. Was out. Just her, by her own admission, she was fucking unconscious and yet is mm-hmm. pinning this very definite figure of 30 minutes. Fuck off, love. It, again, this is, <laughs> this, is, this is why even by Netflix's standard of flimsy 
popular documentary style programs. This is fucking dog shit. And then you get onto the second episode. Now, <laughs> by the second episode, I wondered if maybe they were doing that kind of Louis Theroux thing <laughs> of showing these absolute cranks in a in a in a, a kind of an un, just a unwavering light and right. giving them enough space. Yeah. To hang themselves, you know. I mean, yeah. you talk I had about a similar thought. Yeah. Mm, you 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 know you talk about grifters. You talk about fucking liars. Episode two features <laughs> the, the fucking the woman who claims to be inhabited by an old worldy doctor. This matronly yeah. English woman in her maybe in her fifties who enters a trance-like state and all of a sudden starts talking with the voice of this old doctor, my <laughs> dear boy. And you just think, fuck off. And I, I wondered if 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 the documentary was then coming into its own by just portraying this absolute fucking charlatan. Right. In a cold light and allowing the audience to realize that it's complete fucking horse shit. Right. And there's like, there's another fella in there who, you know, he wants to connect with his dad, right? And that's right. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I related the, to this guy a little. And the medium, like, is doing all the cold read things, right? Oh, like, yeah, he yeah. is, he's like, is it, you know, I'm getting this? Is there like this kind of long term illness or blah, blah, blah? And everything is coming up no for mm. this guy, you know, and he's just like, no, no, no. And so you're you're seeing this not work. And yep. instead, like what this the conclusion that is arrived at here is mm. um he wants it too bad. And yep. thus it's it's like confusing the lines of communication or whatever. So the medium's like I had to step back because yep. you know, it's that was uh, hindering the clarity of like what the spirits were telling him. That mm. <laughs> Watching that with any form of you know skepticism over objectivity. it, objectivity. Like, yeah, any form of objectivity is you're like, no, you just this is not real. That's the issue, and none of your cold reads worked, and therefore you had to like dip. Um, but again, the people who are going, and I think two of two different people in that one wanted to contact their dads, right? Mm. Um, and one of them in the beginning, he even is like, he's saying, he's like, yeah, I know, like, there's all these ways in which they could probably trick me. And you're like, great. Yeah, totally. And then he's like, so I told my dad to talk about my hair if like, if this was a real, you know, thing. Mm. And then the medium gives like this incredibly specific read of him. And I'm like, how can you, I messaged you about it. I was like, how can you be on a television show? about this and trust yep. that no one did any research before yep. this. Like when they're hitting every single mark, how do you trust that? How do you not go like, oh, yeah. something seems a little little off mm. about this, like, yes. you know? But I guess if you think it's your dad, like he would hit every mark, but oh yeah, the, it, the it buys that, into it, you know? It, yeah, it does, it does, it does. The, the one, part of that first episode that, that I found at least slightly interesting enough to warrant further discussion was the woman who mid-surgery uh, flatlined, no electrical activity in her brain, you know uh, objectively dead as fuck, but yet was still able to recall details about the operating theatre still able to recall details about the tools that they were working on her uh, with, yeah. and they actually had the doctor involved giving testimony there as well. There was actually... Uh, a study that was done on this by a by someone named Penny Sartori um, okay. in Swansea, 
And no. uh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> um, and so she was uh, an intensive care nurse. And she was doing a study of near death experiences units in the cardiac unit. And so basically, she was looking at people who um, said they left their bodies and like witnessed something like that, seeing what was being done on them. And, mm -hmm. you know, she was thinking about this and she's like, well, you know, in this day and age, a lot of us have watched medical. Uh, TV shows we've watched or ER, we've watched all this kind of stuff. So there's a mm -hmm. degree to which we have like a knowledge already of yep. what would happen. Instruments. Uh, in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. we kind of know these kinds of things. And so she divided people up into groups who um, said they experienced this and people who had died and been resuscitated and did not report having experienced this. And then mm -hmm. she had both groups describe the procedure. Okay. Um, and, you know, to see, is there any difference or is everyone kind of picking this up from their knowledge of ER? And she did find that there was a significant difference between the people who reported having experienced this and people who had, were sort of imagining what they thought would have happened. And that it was more accurate from the people who said that they had experienced this, that they were able to give a more accurate description of mm -hmm. what had happened during the surgery than people who had not reported having experienced this. So that mm -hmm. there seemed to be something beyond the idea of it just being like, yeah, we've all watched a lot of TV. We know what happens here. That there was a degree of accuracy that was more in people who said that they had actually experienced that out of body okay. thing. Yeah. I mean, I did, I did wonder for a while. I've, I've long been interested in the idea of where consciousness resides. Right. Yes. This is something yeah. that, that we've spoken of uh, in passing before now. Um, uh, th there's a I don't know how apocryphal it is, but there's the old uh, I might have to Snopes this. Okay. But there's the old there's the old <laughs> apocryphal experiment about the flatworms, whereby you can train a certain species of flatworm to navigate a maze, dry it out and powder it and feed it to another flatworm, and then that second flatworm right. will be able to navigate the maze. Um, and I, I've long been interested in: is the brain the only place where consciousness resides, or or, or yes. can it inhabit different parts of your body? Uh, no. Nope. This is the big question here. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, Harvard claims to have a big answer. I mean, there's a there's okay. a study. Uh, from 2018, uh, Harvard scientists believe that they've pinpointed the physical source of consciousness within the brain. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 generally accepted medically that for consciousness to exist, you need two factors. You need uh, arousal, so stimulus, right. uh, and uh, alongside stimulus, you also need awareness, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, a source of stimulus and awareness and Harvard teams have identified specific kind of brainstem regions where you've got three areas which interact with each other, one of which handles arousal and the other two which handle awareness. They, and they're reasonably confident that that's specifically where consciousness sits within the human brain. Nowhere else, it's there, it's in your brain. Um, so why do they think that? Uh, boffins, mate. That's that's the, the fucking. <laughs> that is not enough of an explanation, Mark, because not all boffins think that. Thus, I would like to know why they think that, and then if that is the case, then why can you flatline? Like, does this not is this not an electrical synapse? Like, why can you flatline and still have experiences, or why can you be brought back? Like, what are these? Well, this is it. I mean, can you can you flatline? That is the question. And have experiences, right. you know, and yeah. in. In, in that case specifically that we saw in Surviving Death, in, in, in the studies that you just saw, uh, that you spoke about there, 
you can see things on your way in to an operating theater sure, you know yeah. you uh, anesthesia works on different levels you can be mm-hmm. subtly aware of your surroundings even while under anesthetic sure um and some interplay of those levels of awareness i feel will, will would 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 give you some sort of picture of your surroundings mm-hmm. what i what i am now reasonably sure isn't happening is some sort of extracranial perception mm-hmm. i think there might be levels of awareness that are that are triggering that kind of arousal response sure uh but i think it's more of an accident of of, of anesthesia and consciousness and then maybe latent ideas of what you think might be going on around you rather than sure. uh, rather than, you know, oh, my brain is dead and yet I experience. I think it's 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 more column A than it is column B. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to think about because, you know, on the one hand, this is kind of what we know about the brain. Right. Mm. Like this is we think of that as the sort of center of consciousness. And that is what is accepted in science. I find one of the things that I found interesting in sort of reading about this is that there are plenty of scientists, in fact, some who are um, sort of known for this, uh, who would say, like, it, it's not that simple. And they're looking at it not from a supernatural perspective. Um, and one of the things that they brush up against in trying to do any form of research on it mm. is that people do not, they are so connected to this idea that it's either it's in the brain or it's supernatural. Yeah. that other scientists refuse to study it, right? That okay. they're like, they're shutting down any sense that we could learn anything more about consciousness because their idea of it is that this is some sort of, like the idea that maybe it comes from somewhere outside of the brain is mm. uh, to them too attached to a spiritual concept. So then how I do see. we study these kinds of things if immediately the first thing we think is like this person is actually just trying to cover that they think there's an afterlife. For example, one of the guys who you uh, will come up against, I mean, in the Atlantic article you sent me, you see um, him referenced in this, and you can't really talk about this at all without talking about this guy named Sam Parnia. Um, And he is a resuscitation researcher um, Mm -hmm. out of the New York University, so NYU, Langone Medical Center. Um, Mm -hmm. And so resuscitation is his central thing um he believes basically that people should die less um, particularly from things like heart attacks that we uh have kind of you know in the 60 years or so that we've had cpr um because of our idea that the brain is the center of everything um and that you can only survive so long without brain function yeah we give up on people really fast And so often, like, if you are brought into the ER, um, they will do CPR on you for a certain amount of time. And then they go, you know what, this person's too far gone. Their brain's gone. Um, We got to we got to call it. And he has been able to through various techniques that he used. And I'm not even going to attempt to explain this, but uh, ultimately he's been able to, like, I think, increase survival of heart attacks by like 34 percent. Um, based on this idea of death as a process and on the idea that, you know, the brain um, is not necessarily sort of this be-all, end-all. Sort of thinking about the the brain is more complex and death is more complex as simple brain death, the way that we conceive of this. Um, mm. He's not a religious person. Um, he has no, he does not believe there is an afterlife at mm. all. 
but his sort of question about all of this stuff is that, you know, is it possible that we have this simplistic view that all of consciousness is, is in the brain and that all of what makes us who we are is in the brain um, when there could potentially, potentially be some sort of external place in which this resides. He talks about how there's one... Well, um, right. I mean, he doesn't know. And that's one of the things ah. he wants to, he wants to look at. And so he's, you know, ran a study that, of course, the sensationalist head headlines, of course, were like, proof of life after death. Which he's like, that's not what I said at all. <laughs> um, but that he did, you know, a study of sort of people and near-death experiences, um, including people reporting being able to, like, you know, see outside of their body and all of that. Um, mm. And found, like, a few sort of things that to him indicated that it is possible and that's what science is, right? Okay, this is a plausible, possible thing that there is an external location to this or somewhere else in the body or outside of the body where consciousness is located. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, you know, this is, I've kind of looked into like, do people debunk this? Do they think this is pseudoscience? And that doesn't seem to be the case. There are people who try to figure out like, eh, maybe not, but okay. this is genuine research out of genuine, um, you know, medical facilities that he's talking about this yeah. there's a, a another scientist and this is more far out there but again it's not like he's anti-science or anything like that there's a man named uh, peter fenwick again not religious doesn't necessarily believe in an afterlife uh itself but he thinks that consciousness actually exists independently and outside of the brain as an inherent property of the universe itself like dark matter and dark energy or gravity um, I don't know. That's and, fascinating. That's an angle yeah. I've not seen before. So the yeah. consciousness is a is is a uh, uh, fucking hell. It's something <laughs> external it's, to the to right. the body, and that our oh, brains okay. create a false duality between the self and this external reality here. Um, he likens it to sort of vision is one of the ways that they talk about this. So mm. um, he says the brain doesn't create or produce consciousness; it filters it. Um, he says, as, as an idea, this might seem odd, but there are some analogies that can bring this into sharper f focus. For example, the eye filters and interprets only a very small sliver of the electromagnetic spectrum, and the ear yeah. registers only a narrow range of sonic frequencies. Similarly, according to Fenwick, the brain filters and perceives only a tiny part, tiny part of the cos cosmos's intrinsic consciousness. Yeah. Um, so he says, or as this article says, when the eye dies... The electromagnetic spectrum does not vanish or cease to be. It's just that the eye is no longer viable and therefore can no longer filter, be stimulated by, and react to light energy. But the energy it previously interacted with remains nonetheless. So too, when the ear dies or stops transducing sound waves, the energies that the living ear normally respond to still exist. So it is, so it is with consciousness, according to Fenwick. Just because the organ that filters, perceives, and interprets it dies does not mean that the phenomenon itself ceases to exist. It only ceases to be in the now dead brain, but continues to exist independently of the brain as an external property of the universe itself. Now, <laughs> there is there is a part of me that loves that reading. <laughs> I can definitely see that. Yeah. Uh, that to me speaks to things you know, you know if, if a fucking tree falls in the woods and no one's around blah 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 if that a human literally dies was at the end of the article there you go <laughs> there you go it's one and of those unanswerable the, right and he's kind of positing like again this is this is a thing that perhaps we should think about and the way that he looks at this i think is really important is mm. instead of 
sort of like poo-pooing all forms of non-Western, non-scientific knowledge, he uses that as a jumping off point of indigenous knowledge of, of uh, West, Eastern religions, things like that, mm. things they've said about dying. And then he's a neuropsychologist. So he goes and he studies those things from a psychological perspective. Um, mm. And so, you know, for example, he said the Dalai Lama says that people are aware, they become aware of their impending death two years before they're going to die. That's mm -hmm. like a, you know, you can kind of look at that and be like, that's just like a woo concept or whatever. But he goes, okay, if people in this religious group think this, let's go and talk to end of life carers and see what they witness over the course of two years of someone dying or things like that. And mm. so he's kind of taking these supernatural ideas and trying to go, well, can we scientifically put a frame on that that explains something about our consciousness or things like that? But ultimately, that's his, his idea is that we don't necessarily know where this is located. It could be something beyond this. That's, doesn't, that's not spiritual. That's not supernatural. Maybe we just haven't unlocked this yet. And paradigm shifts are an important part of science. Right? Of, like course, we, of course. We think we know things all the time, and then, boom, something clicks. And we realize, ah, shit, we've been looking at this completely differently. So that's not to say I necessarily think that's what happens. I think it's an interesting perspective on it to say, yeah. why don't we look at the idea that it could be something different? Yeah. Because we know it is a complicated process. And you're quite right. That's that's the wonderful. That, I mean, that's at the very core of 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 science isn't it, it mm -hmm. never science never claims to know the answer it's that this is the right. best theory we have so far given what we now know yeah um there's also there's also i mean okay so when you think about the common um uh the common traits of a of a, of a near-death experience yes people or you, as you, i will say that um dr parnia calls them actual death experiences because okay. <laughs> near death doesn't necessarily make sense because these people actually died but just yeah know. fair enough i'll go with that i'll go with yeah. that uh you know there's commonalities across the board the the perception of travel of going somewhere of leaving your body mm -hmm. of uh light at maybe the end being of the tunnel. light at the end of the tunnel absolutely so visual uh you know conjuring visual kind of hallucinations i guess for want of a better word maybe um uh, encountering people from your past, visions of your life, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, right? Yeah. The pharmacological aspect is certainly worth talking sure. about. Um, the There's a particular uh, receptor in the brain known as the NMDA receptor, okay? Okay. Uh, which is concerned in memory formation. It's concerned with uh, self-image. And there's been lots and I mean a lot of study in how, put it like this, right? It is, it is very straightforward to reproduce the exact same uh, uh, elements of, of, of those death experiences yeah. with drugs, with drugs, right? In right. particular, uh, ketamine, uh, salvia, mm -hmm. and DMT all act on that particular receptor on the, uh, on the NMDA receptor and induce those exact mm -hmm. symptoms, right? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a report from the British Medical Journal. Uh, there are reports from universities all over the world of ketamine use to induce near-death experiences, uh, DMT to induce near-death experiences. 
uh, you know, in, in, in laboratory conditions with placebo, with test groups. Um, and look, fucking hell. I mean, as somebody who has, I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've had ketamine before. I've had fucking salvia before. And I can firsthand tell you that it induces a feeling of travel outside of your body. Yeah. That it induces the 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 perception that you're seeing other things that aren't necessarily there right. it it removes the sense of self ego death is a term that gets used um about uh you know uh, disassociatives like ketamine and dmt and they act on that receptor mm-hmm. so are you saying you think that thus perhaps something about brain death or about the process of the brain dying triggers the same something on that same receptor. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. And particularly, particularly, you know, ketamine is an anesthetic. You know, yeah. you know I'm, I'm saying, is there something about the use of anesthesia, the, 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 the flooding of maybe dopamine, serotonin, those other fucking... Sure. yeah, absolutely. A, a flood of that, adrenaline maybe in a near-death experience. Yeah. Uh, I'm saying that all of those commonalities that you keep hearing... And the absolute fact that you can induce that shit chemically. Right. It feels to me as though that's... If you use Occam's razor, right? If, right, the, if yeah. everyone is experiencing something similar and your brain is able to conjure that stuff up chemically, right. it feels to me as though that's a pretty that's good... That's probably at the center of... Place to start. Yeah, yeah, and that's... I've also seen simple things like... Is it hypoxia when you like lose yes, oxygen to yes. the brain? That can also induce similar sorts of things. So that absolutely uh, makes sense as well. And even just Mm -hmm. like, again, from like the simplest explanation thing, um, I was reading about, you know, uh, another someone reporting a near-death experience of of being able to, um, and maybe it was even in the Atlantic article, I'm not sure, but the woman Mm -hmm. who like, she reported being able to hear Hotel California being played, you know, things like that. Um, And that they were like, I mean, she probably heard things before and after she flatlined um, yep. and those kind of got, you know, mixed in in the recollection that she had afterwards. Um, yes. So the, the thing that's so hard about anything discussing these near-death experiences is, of course, that only the person knows exactly what they experience. Which um, I love. Yeah. And you have no when things happened along that timeline. I mean, this is what we've been talking about since early on in the podcast was Mm. our initial question of like, okay, if, you know, someone chops my head off, how long do I have? You know, how long am I still in there uh, in some way? And because we don't totally understand that, uh, we can't completely know, you know, how much time is spent that way. What I think, you know, these sort of scientists trying to figure out if there is something to this. And and I don't think, like, with the hallucinations and things like that, I think you're right. I think that's very easily explained. Um, but in terms of just larger questions of where consciousness lies, I don't think that necessarily uh, is explained simply by the fact that you can reproduce that kind of thing there. I think you we still have mm. this open question of and what you know Dr. Parney is trying to get at is we can prolong life if we have mm. a better understanding of consciousness and he, he mm. talks in one article that I read about a, a girl I, I can't remember where exactly she was but she was like dead for several hours 
Um, and now she is alive. She's fine. She just had a kid, you know, <laughs> like that when we think more about what that means and what's going on in the brain, it enables us to do better medicine. Um, yes. And so I think that that's one of the things that's so key about thinking about this beyond simply, you know, is there an afterlife or things like that? But the questions that we can ask about where consciousness lies um, and what our brains can endure uh, enables us to do better for human beings when it comes yep. to end of yep. life care, whether when it comes to saving people, completely, all of that stuff. Yeah. This is 100% flatliners shit, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, the, the the fact that we we are we are better at saving people. We're there's I know there's huge debate about that that kind of end of life. How long mm -hmm. uh, in in a dormant body is it worth trying to bring someone back for? And the fact that we're getting better and better at that. Uh, I mean, in 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 the fullness of time, will there be more of these to study? Yeah, yeah. And I'd of like to think so. The thing that about that too is that if there is a consciousness that we don't understand going on in people um, who have suffered from whatever, seem to have experienced brain death and whatnot, and we are keeping them um, in vegetative states and things like that, that terrifies me to think of what could be going on in, in there. You know, kind of like that yes. locked-in syndrome, all that kind of stuff. But to think about what <laughs> the ethics of keeping someone alive when consciousness, if we find out consciousness is yes. outside the brain and is only being filtered through there, and now this person is experiencing all of this stuff in some scary way that's terrifying. You know, sometimes the idea of learning something different in science can mean really creepy it can things. Mean, yeah, recalibrating the paradigm, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to, I'd like you to link me to that particular. Uh, train of thought that you mentioned earlier on, which which you know posits that Fenwick. consciousness is, is Fenwick. Please do text me that because I'd love to read that in a little bit more depth because it fascinates me. It fascinates me from a more a sci-fi point of view than anything else. Yeah, I sure. think absolutely, yeah. Um, and uh, honestly, because again, he's a he's a neuropsychologist, um, and so most of his work is in the field of psychology. So there are um, other things where he talks about stuff surrounding death and this is more of like a side thing to his work so it's not the major thing that you'll find when you're reading stuff about him um mm. or listening to i listened to a podcast that he was on talking about um about this stuff but it is a fascinating sort of thread a, a question to ask in my opinion you know i mean i have i'm not a boffin i don't know <laughs> where this stuff is but i i oh am, you are <laughs> in my heart i am mm. uh but like you, you know how you always say like you you love being wrong. I think that's one of the the appeals to science and scientific inquiry and um, thinking about all this stuff is I've spent my life being wrong about things, uh, yes. and so this could be just one more thing that I thought I had. I thought this is what the science is, um, mm. and maybe not, maybe absolutely not. But that's part of the process. Yeah. It feels it feels to me as though you would you would love to be wrong on this. It feels to me as though you'd love there to be. No, uh, I don't. I, I actually was thinking about that earlier. I was like, do I want this to be the case? Like that definitely was a thing that I thought about. And I don't know that that's I don't know that's true. Like, honestly, like I said, it kind of scares me if that mm. is the case, uh, <laughs> because, you know, I told you when we were talking about this early 
uh, you know, early in the cast that uh, there's the book Tuck Everlasting about the family that lives sure. forever. And it always bothered me the idea that someday, like, the earth explodes, right? And does their consciousness exist in the universe uh, even once their bodies have been destroyed if they mm. can't die? And that has troubled me since mm. I was a youth. And so actually, I think I would rather this were not the case um, because, you know, it, it feeds into my fear of what is that. Like, as I was reading all of this stuff, I just kept thinking like, well, if if consciousness is in the universe and, you know, and is something we don't quite understand, like gravity and whatnot, um, mm. <laughs> then what does that actually mean for when we die? That the consciousness is there somewhere? Am I a tormented bit of consciousness somewhere floating yep. in, in the ether? Like that, that frightens me. So no, I don't think I want it to be true, but I think I am maybe a, a, I don't know. So I now like it sounds like you really don't want it to be true. I don't want it to be true. <laughs> uh, it's a horror idea to me, really. And maybe that's part of what is, makes it so fascinating is like this is a really mm. horrific potential outcome. But I think it's more, like I said, that I think I I have spent my life being wrong about this stuff, you know, and, and having been like a religious person and whatnot. And I think I appreciate a moment where I thought that I... I thought that I understood all this. And when I started mm. reading about all of this earlier, I was like, there is absolutely nothing you could do that would make me even slightly question where consciousness is located. And, you know, I still think it's probably in the brain. I still think that. I'm largely playing devil's advocate on this, but um, the idea that at least there are scientists, reputable scientists and studies and things like that that are trying to at least figure out if that's the case and that that has medical implications, I think that's mm. kind of what appeals to me. All right, I'll buy that. I'll go along with that. You don't buy it. You think I... You totally think I, I want to believe it. No, I mean, I, I... My reading for this week has made up my mind. <laughs> we had opposite experiences yeah. of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did, we did, we did. I mean, uh, I spoke to you recently about the uh, the caterpillar butterfly experiments, right. which are fascinating. You explain. I will. Yeah. Uh, so there's a <laughs> there's been work done whereby a particular breed of caterpillar was exposed to a particular scent, ethyl ethyl alcohol, uh, and when it had that scent, they would give it a little electric shock, fucked with a caterpillar, basically. <laughs> then that caterpillar was allowed to gestate, pupate, and metamorphose into a butterfly, and the butterfly then instinctively avoids that scent. So when you put them in a tube with a Y-shaped kind of branch with the scent at one end, in, in the vast majority of cases, it will avoid that scent because it remembers, oh, they're going to fucking shock me, wangers. Um, now in a chrysalis, the caterpillar ceases to be a caterpillar. It liquefies. Right. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the constituent parts of a butterfly are totally different to the constituent parts of a caterpillar. Right. Um, and yet it retains the memory lessons it learned as a caterpillar exist outside of its physical form. Cause it, when it reforms into a butterfly, it remembers all of that stuff. And that's. That's what really got me thinking. And, and the flatworm thing, which the more I think about it, the more I think might be bullshit. 
do you think the butterfly one is two or no no i've i've okay the the butterfly one is widely reported yes whereas the flatworm one i vaguely remember from school okay fair enough fair enough yeah um and so then i mean what is your conclusion about that then based on uh, based on what i've read today yeah uh it's physi i i i believe it to be physiological i believe it to be as opposed to, uh, I, I, there was actually something I've read about the structure uh, of of the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. The the if you do the experiment on the caterpillar later in its life, closer to when it pupates, it's more likely to remember it. Whereas if you do it in that caterpillar's youth, then it, it will naturally forget over time. Um, mm-hmm. There is something physiological about the position of the brain in the caterpillar as well. Um, mm. uh, th- there is there is. A physiological explanation for it as opposed to its remembering with its body right. somehow you know uh-huh. interesting mm. um but <laughs> you know the 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 harvard that harvard experiment that i read about earlier has drawn a line under it for me you need to send that to me so i can put it on the blog oh. but also yes so i have a little more explanation of <laughs> what uh-huh. they thought they found there um but yeah you know it's when you use that have... phrase you use the phrase consciousness is like dark matter. It's around us and we can't fucking see it. That got my sci-fi fucking <laughs> nerve tingling. That yeah, got what, my... a, what a concept, yeah. right? Yeah, I think I think that's fascinating. I said, I think I'm, yeah, I don't know. It intrigues me to it in- think look, that all we of did, this stuff. Yeah, intrigues me to think that we could have gotten it wrong. And kind of the idea that like of being at the precipice potentially of seeing something a paradigm shift is always mm. interesting you know to mm. see something change drastically in our knowledge of the world um like i said i think i think it probably is in the brain and i think whatever harvard did will probably convince me one way or another but i am interested in sort of the complex nature of it and i should say the the you know the scientists that i brought up again they're not talking about anything supernatural and they're not sure there is anything no, more to not. this either they're merely sort of trying to think about what does this mean from a scientific perspective if it turns out that way i mean there is a paradigm shift coming our way soon uh okay. i mean i'm I'm convinced that we're mere years away from finding fucking bacteria on the moon convinced <laughs> absolutely convinced <laughs> that there are fucking space bears all up in their tardigrades yeah. in moon puddles i'm fucking all certain about the tardigrades it, yep and if that's not a paradigm shift, I don't know what is actual it's fucking, yeah. you know, bring them back. Let's have a look at the buggers. <laughs> and that is how the world ends. Mm-hmm. Fine. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just delighted that I was alive to see it. <laughs> well, this was a fun conversation, Mark. I really enjoyed it. They always are. They always are. Uh, so... Um, as it turns out, we didn't really watch a whole heck of a lot this week, so we don't have a lot of wrecks no. and whatnot to talk, to talk about. I did watch three things, um, but one of which was a complete waste of time, uh, with the Dead and Lovely podcast, uh, they do a, uh, scream and, scream and chat on their Discord every Friday night, and I try to, I love, I love doing it, it's very fun. Um, so last night I managed to, Saturday night? Friday night? Whatever night it was. I watched uh, Anti-Birth with them, okay. uh, with Natasha Leone and Chloe Sevigny, uh, and it is mostly just, like, boring. <laughs> um, well, for a second, I thought you made, you watched it with Chloe Sevigny, <laughs> you were hanging with her on Discord. <laughs> yeah, just hanging out on the Discord. <laughs> no, uh, those are the stars of the film, 
Um, but it does have the very last minute and a half has like a really cool creature which nice. i'm like if that had been there the whole movie this would have been really interesting but it's like very mm. meandering and weird and like you have no idea where it's going don't necessarily recommend that um i watched sweet virginia with john bernthal which is a, a thriller um and yeah it's kind of i felt it was a tiny bit anticlimactic but it's i mean it's bernthal he's really good um kind of a it's, he's this small town used to be like a rodeo star and uh, he is now a motel owner um, in a small town. Since seeing John Bernthal at a con last year or maybe in 2019, I have become the biggest fan of the bloke. What a I fucking likable guy, man. Yeah, he was very relatable, uh, mm-hmm. very com- just completely down to earth, interacted yeah. really easily with the audience, answered every fucking question that got thrown at him. Yeah. Uh, There's a good and, profile and- in... Oh, go ahead. No, go on, please. Oh, there's a good profile on him from like GQ or something from three or four years ago. I highly recommend. And that really, like you said, just solidified. You're reading it and you're like, this is just, it's a guy I get. I relate to yeah. down to earth, dude. Yes. Um, big fan. And it was he's the same con actor. where, yeah, he is. He's terrific. And it was the same con where, I mean, we went to see Peter Weller, right? That's what we tried. <laughs> that guy is fucking mental. The guy is an absolute <laughs> fucking lunatic. Which uh, uh, is kind of beautiful. Christ. That's what yeah, I want is, out of Peter Weller. <laughs> yeah. Just briefly, um, yesterday was John Carpenter's birthday. So I'm yes. going to put you on the spot immediately. What is your favorite John Carpenter film? Go. Ah! Uh, yep. No, don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just I saw anxiety <laughs> in your... <laughs> yeah, I am way too high strung today for you to make me pick that <laughs> off right, the top of my head. Uh, so, no, I, I refuse. I... I I pass on that question. I think actually okay. Jason asked me that several months ago too. And I was like, well, and I gave him like three. So <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Uh, it's the thing. I yeah, saw I it figured. quite, I watched it quite recently. Uh, yeah, you watched you know it, what, much... New Year's Eve? Yes, it was New Year's Eve. It was mm-hmm. New Year's Eve. Uh, and it fucking sings to you. What a great fucking film. Yeah. Uh, yep. Love it. It's you know I love a monster. I love a creature. And unlike your movie that you saw, where they save the creature for the last fucking two minutes, this yeah. one is just front and center <laughs> all the way through. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Oh, I also saw Synchronic this week. Yes, Synchronic. Uh, which I don't know if that falls within our purview. It's a little bit sci-fi. It's. Yeah, I'll count it. What's that? That Martin Lawrence film where he goes back in time. Did you just say Martin Lawrence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some fucking reason, he goes back in time to, like, King Arthur? Black Knight? Is that what it's called? It's that (laughs) meets Requiem for a Dream. I don't know. It's a fucking weird film. Um, It's got Jamie Dornan, though, so I will watch it. Yes, it does. Uh, Falcon finds a drug which sends you back in time. There you go. That's that's the plot on the back of a stamp. It's quite good. Three stars. Okay, great. Um, also, uh, thanks to Richard on Twitter and his list of cult movies, I watched Under the Silver Lake, which was quite a fun watch as well. Mm. Um, I remember the trailers for that. Uh, it's yeah, it's like a kind of like if a film noir detective movie was in a brightly lit Los Angeles. Um, it's like a oh, hipster nice. noir kind of, um, and it's really uh, there's a lot going on. It's very weird, uh, mm. and according to Richard, there's a lot of clues. I didn't I don't pay attention to things close enough to notice that but uh and it's got some good culty weirdness in it so i actually if you're looking for something kind of interesting and off kilter to watch under the silver lake with andrew garfield is real good oh spidey's in it andrew garfield yeah 
Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Okay, good. Yep. Uh, I think there's a cult episode of Joag in the in the future. Oh, please, come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, many. Yeah. I love cults. Cults are. Uh, I love cults is a weird statement, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I also asked him what his favorite cult was. He was like, um, I don't know if favorite's the right word. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's a weird way of putting that. Um, but yes, or I may have asked. I don't even think that was him. I think that was, uh, um, Paul. Which <laughs> I think that was Paul. which one was Koresh? Was he Heaven's Gate? No, uh, Koresh is um, Branch Davidians. Right. Okay. Who was Heaven's Gate? Was that Jim Jones? Heaven's Gate is that's uh, T and Doe, uh, Marshall Applewhite. Okay. Yeah, there's actually a really good uh, Heaven's Gate doc that just came out on HBO Plus Max Go. What is it called? <laughs> HBO Plus Max Go. <laughs> Whatever the thing is that they have yeah. for HBO now, a good documentary series, a docu series on um, on Heaven's Gate just came out, and it's really interesting because it focuses more on the people um, mm. and like really the humanity of mm. the people who are involved. So it's it's like you really get more of the horrific elements of it, but also just kind of like why people were along on this. Mm. Mom, seriously. No, mom, I'm podcasting. Keep it in, keep it in, keep it in, keep it in. Um, you get more of you get more of uh, why people would have been in this cult and what appealed to them, and you know, if you've ever watched the exit videos from the people in Heaven's Gate, like you're really the thing that always struck me about them is that like these people were very happy. Um, mm. and they were like so on board with killing themselves and mm. seeing the entire process of all of this stuff is, is fascinating. So it's really, um, and the people who left, the people who remained, uh, and there was a lot of suicides later from people who had left the, the cult and, you know, all the complications that came around with that. They thought mm. like people who left a lot of times actually still like believed, um, and they left for various other reasons. Um, so, yeah, it's a fascinating look at just, like, the real sort of humans and not just the joke. Because that's, like, Heaven's Gate became such a joke. Um, yeah. And it's it's very worth watching. Yeah, put a pin in it. There's an episode there, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, with that, I think that uh, we shall bid you all adieu. Wrap it up. Wrap it right on up. Put it in its little <laughs> okay. chrysalis. Dissolve it. <laughs> and see if it remembers it, it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so thanks for listening to us everybody um talk to us on the interwebs uh on yeah. twitter at jack of all graves on instagram at jack of all graves pod check out our blog jack of all graves.com um, particularly if you're army hammer please fucking reach yes, out especially Come on. if you're army hammer um and or if you're some other consensual cannibal hey doesn't have to be a famous yeah. one i want to talk to you are so, you a cannibal if you're we a cannibal want to talk to you fuck get a hold of us we're we're waiting for you (laughs) um and i think that i think that about oh and and mark february 6th on your calendar and watch evil dead 2 with us yep good times thanks for listening folks see you next week stay spooky friends i'm not doing it i'm not doing anything fucking strange this time (sighs) no one's listening now anyway (laughs) mark has actually just gotten naked (laughs) and is dancing around his living room and he's claiming i've I've tucked it back like buffalo bill (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bye. <laughs>